This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mea Culpa Podcast. The one thing that allowed me to sleep at night was the knowledge, or at least the perception, that the courts would provide a final backstop against the worst of Donald Trump's corrupt MAGA agenda. It was the courts that shut down his attempts to overturn the election. It was the courts that denied him the sweeping executive privilege claims he so coveted, acknowledging that presidents were not kings. Judge after judge in a myriad of cases, both liberal and conservative, not only held up the rule of law, but excoriated those who thought to bend it to their will. Political pundits proclaimed proudly that in the end, the system worked. The courts were the guardrails against tyranny. We reported on text messages obtained by CBS News and The Washington Post that illustrate the extraordinary relationship between the wife of a Supreme Court justice and the Trump White House. The text between Justice Clarence Thomas's wife, her name is Virginia, conservative activist who goes by Jenny, and Trump Chief of Staff Mark Meadows document her attempts to help guide President Trump's strategy to overturn the 2020 election. Well, sort of. If a fish rots from the head down, it appears the sickness that has infested our political system, which began with Donald Trump, has made its way to the Supreme Court with Clarence Thomas, long the institution's boogeyman, now the institution's most willing host. Thomas is married to Virginia Thomas, a conservative GOP power broker in her own right. Justice Thomas has described the two in interviews as having one body in mind, which makes the following revelations all the more disturbing. Key question, though, as you point out, is whether or not Justice Thomas uh, shares any of these feelings, whether he knew about it, whether it affects his, his decisions to recuse himself or to dissent on the National Archives question. Did you find anything in your reporting, Bob, that showed he shares the views of Ginny Thomas? Uh, we, we don't know that, and uh, at the same time, the January 6th committee, as demonstrated by these texts, is very aggressive in going after the full story. I think there's going to be a question, do they want to subpoena Ginny Thomas? Mm. And uh, that is about as delicate, uh, I mean, you can almost hear the air vibrate when you raise that possibility. Just on that, just How could they not? On that point, though, she does, there is a text in which she refers to a conversation she had with my best friend. Right. Um, how did you read that? Did you well, read uh, that uh, as a conversation? He, he has Trump? called, publicly called mm -hmm. her uh, his best friend. Thomas repeatedly pressed White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to pursue unrelenting efforts to overturn the 2020 presidential election in a series of urgent text exchanges in the critical weeks after the vote, according to copies of the messages obtained by the Washington Post and CBS News. We have learned today that the January 6th Select Committee has in its possession a series of text messages between Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, and former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. There are 29 text messages in total that took place from early November through the end of January, shortly after the 2020 election. And in these text messages, which CNN has now been able to review, uh, you see an exchange between Thomas and uh, Meadows where Thomas uh, implores the chief of staff to encourage the former president and his administration to vigorously fight the attempts 
to certify the 2020 election. The messages, 29 in all, reveal an extraordinary pipeline between Virginia Thomas, who goes by the name of Ginny, and President Donald Trump's top aide during a period when Trump and his allies were vowing to go to the Supreme Court in an effort to negate the election results. On uh, November 10th, Thomas wrote to Meadows, quote, help this great president stand firm, Mark. You are the leader with him who is standing for America's constitutional governance at the precipice. The majority knows Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history. When Meadows wrote to Thomas on November 24th, the White House chief of staff invoked God to describe the effort to overturn the election. This is a fight of good versus evil, Meadows wrote. Evil always looks like the victor until the king of kings triumphs. Do not grow weary in the well-doing. The fight continues. I have staked my career on it. Well, at least my time in DC on it. Thomas replied, thank you, needed that. This plus a conversation with my best friend just now, I will try to keep holding on. America is worth it. They ain't seen nothing yet. Controversy swirling around Ginny Thomas, the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. After it was revealed she was pushing Mark Meadows, then White House Chief of Staff, to do all he could to keep Donald Trump in office after he lost the 2020 election. The revelations coming in a series of texts obtained by CNN and in the hands of the January 6th Select Committee. The messages, which do not directly reference Justice Thomas or the Supreme Court, show for the first time how Ginny Thomas used her access to Trump's inner circle to promote and seek to guide the president's strategy to overturn the election results, and how receptive and grateful Meadows said he was to receive her advice. Among Thomas's stated goals in the messages was for lawyer Sidney Kraken Powell, who promoted incendiary and unsupported claims about the election, to be the lead and the face of Trump's legal team. There's an audacity uh, in these messages. There is a kind yes. of, uh, at the end, Fervor. she says, America is going to be lost if Biden wins. She attacks Biden and says he's part of the Biden crime family and so forth. I mean, this is what, uh, over the years, we've all seen lots of true believers yeah. on the Republican Party, Democratic Party, left and right. Uh, but these are the people who stay behind the scenes and run campaigns. They are not yeah. out. Mm -hmm. Uh, in a sense, yeah. uh, negotiating with the White House chief of staff of mm -hmm. this is the messaging, the, the uh, staffing directions, this is the strategy. And she happens to be married to a Supreme Court justice. Justice Thomas participated in Supreme Court cases related to 2020 election controversies. And in one February 2021 opinion, dissented as the full court declined to take up a challenge to Pennsylvania mail-in voting procedures. He demonstrated support for the claim that election fraud is a threat to America. We are fortunate that many of the cases we have seen alleged only improper rule changes, not fraud. But that observation provides only small comfort, he wrote. An election free from strong evidence of systemic fraud is not alone sufficient for election confidence. No other justice joined in his opinion. 
Now, why is that significant? And what new light does it cast on Justice Thomas's decision not to recuse himself from 2020 election cases? These questions have long lingered around Thomas, given his wife's prominence in Republican and conservative politics. He has never recused himself from a case because of her. But this case presents perhaps the most controversial intersection to date between his wife's work and his actions on the court. The woman has been the woman has been a, a crazy, yes. crazy right wing activist for the entire time that yes. her husband has been on the Supreme Court. More crazy in more recent years, as has happened with the party in general. You read the text messages, Bill. It's like, who's your nuttiest, most brain diseased? <laughs> Trump MAGA following relative, the one who's been brain alled by syphilis or whatever, they've, and, and they've completely gone around the bend and they do all their shit posting on Facebook. That's what her text messages sound like. She's writing about how the Biden crime family and reporters should be sent to military tribunals at Gitmo because of what? Because of the fact that they were saying that the election was legitimate after the election. In addition to urging the chief of staff to be like a political consultant to the chief of staff. According to the Washington Post, Ginny Thomas signed a letter in December of 2021 attacking the House January 6th committee. Shortly afterward, her husband became the only justice to dissent. And I want to repeat that, the only justice to dissent when the court granted access to Donald Trump's White House records. Ginny Thomas has also since confirmed that she attended the Stop the Steal rally in Washington that preceded the January 6th insurrection. It now appears Justice Thomas voted against disclosing information about an effort in which his wife was directly engaged. It's also plausible, though not yet established, that he voted against disclosing his wife's contacts with the White House, whether knowingly or not. This is an issue not just of her craziness, it's an issue of corruption. It's like there is a, there's a federal, the Supreme Court has no ethical guidelines on it whatsoever for judges. There's no code of ethics on the Supreme Court. But the rest of federal judges, and that includes them in some sense, uh, are said that you can't rule in a case in which your spouse or family members can, can benefit in some way. This was a case where she, as a member of a right-wing cabal that wants to overthrow the election, would benefit potentially from uh, not having Trump's uh, communications come forward. It also, she would personally benefit from not having those communications come forward. He was conflicted out of this case. Did he ever admit that his wife went to the Stop the Steal rally? No. Did he admit that there was any possible conflict of interest? No. He should not only be barred from ruling on any case related to the January 6th issue. I think there's a pretty good case he should be censured in some other way. Ju Justice Roberts needs to get serious about this. Because... He talks all the time about the fact, and he's right, that the court, the Supreme Court's standing in American life now is worse than it's been any time in our lifetime. Americans do think the court has been politicized. They think it's not credible. This is the kind of shit that makes people think that, and they're right to think that. In this case, you gotta do something about it. Let me stop for a second and say, holy fucking shit. There's so much that's wrong here. I don't even know what to say. Beyond the myriad conflicts of interest is the reality of just how much the fringe right has infected the levers of power under Donald J. Trump. In the case of Ginny Thomas, the appeal to overturn the election were couched in near messianic terms. 
Meadows texted to Thomas that the King of Kings would ultimately triumph in the quest to overturn the election, which Meadows characterized as the fight of good versus evil. Greg Sargent wrote in the Washington Post that, in invoking Jesus' support for Trump's effort to overturn the election, Meadows, who handled evangelical outreach in the White House, was not merely making an offhand comment, he was speaking in a vein that has wide-held currency among the Christian nationalist right throughout the Trump years, right through the insurrection attempt. Sargent adds, the rhetoric from the Christian right about Trump has long sounded very much like the exchange between Meadows and Thomas. For many on the Christian right, Trump was anointed by God as the fulfillment of a long-sought goal of restoring the United States as a Christian nation. In this narrative, Trump, despite his glaring and repugnant personal imperfections, became the vessel to carry out the struggle to defeat various godless and secularist infestations of the idealized Christian nation, from the woke to globalist to communist to the deep state. Secondly, you have the chief of staff of the president of the United States actually actually summoning the name of Jesus Christ. Think about the sickness of this. He summons the name of Jesus Christ for his help in overturning American democracy. Now, you could you could call it what you want to call it, uh, but 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 if you're trying to 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 throw out a presidential election because you lost that's over that's overthrowing american democracy and he says he will make it the fight of his life with the help of jesus christ to overturn american democracy okay so see here's the thing about mark when he was trying to undermine american democracy he said this is a fight of good versus evil but as a friend of mine said after reading the story last night he's right it was a fight between good and evil he just got the jerseys mixed up. Now I want you to consider for a moment that both of these people are one heartbeat away from not just the president, but a Supreme Court justice as well. For example, Thomas elevated a theory that certain ballots were intentionally made traceable to catch those who were going to commit fraud. This was a popular theory amongst adherents of QAnon, part of that conspiracy theory central thesis that Trump was deploying various unseen tactics to uproot nefarious wrongdoing by a cabal of leftist criminals. Thomas also sent Meadows a riff she might have lifted from some fringe website alleging that the Biden crime family and others involved in the scheme to steal the election were being arrested and detained for ballot fraud right now and over the coming days and will be living in barges off Gitmo, the detainment center in Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, to face military tribunals for sedition. I mean, what, what really is important about these messages is not the really extreme and somewhat crazy views that Ginny Thomas expresses, like, you know, that Biden and his supporters should be sent to prison in Guantanamo. I mean, it is really, really extreme stuff. But she's a private citizen. She's entitled to her views. What's extraordinary is that her husband, Justice Thomas, remains sitting on the bench in cases directly relevant to what she's talking about in these in these texts. You know, he, as you pointed out, 
has already voted once in defense, uh, the only justice in defense of the Trump position about access to memos about January 6th. There are more cases in the pipeline on this subject. And he has continued throughout his career never to recuse himself in cases in which his wife has been intimately involved as a political figure. A central effort of Thomas's, though, was to amplify the claims being made by Sidney Powell, an attorney whose assertions about the election eventually became so obviously ridiculous that even Trump's legal team was forced to distance itself from her. But Thomas ate it up, even questioning why the White House booted Powell from the team after Fox News' Tucker Carlson publicly exposed Powell as having absolutely no evidence of the fraud she purported to have occurred. But Jenny Thomas, on her own, on her own, has, has been a, a pillar of Washington, D.C.'s conservative community. She's revered. She's celebrated. The, 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 the who's who of Washington, D.C. looks upon this woman as a leader of the conservative movement. It tells you how deeply corrupted and intellectually flawed that movement became through the Trump years. This isn't Justice Thomas saying these things, and this isn't Meadows saying these things, though Meadows at least played along with the things Thomas was offering. But it's hard to think of another voice treated credibly by key elements of American power making similarly outlandish assertions. At one point, Ginny Thomas warned about the consequences if Trump and Meadows were to cave to the elites. Meadows then replied, I don't know what you mean by caving to the elites, by which he presumably meant that he wasn't sure how the White House was at risk of caving on its position. Supreme Court, even with its faults and blemishes, is an independent place where life-tenured justices are a backstop. Indeed, remember in 2020, for all the other divisions in our lives in America, the court was, on a bipartisan basis, able to say that there was no merit to the challenges to Biden's victory. That was something that Republican and Democratic appointed justices could agree on. That's why there never was a Bush v. Gore style case that even reached the court, let alone siding with some of the lies coming out of what was the sitting president. That's not nothing. It's a good thing to have an independent court that can stand up to the person who still has their finger on the proverbial button. And yet now we're looking at a story that questions the independence of at least one member of this court in grave ways, which leads us to calls for one member of this court, one justice and his wife, to potentially testify under oath in what would be an unprecedented investigation into their role in hiding communications with another branch secret, what in court is called ex parte communications by the wife of this justice, as there was an attempted coup going on. It's obvious what needs to happen, and that's for Justice Thomas to resign from the Supreme Court. He has utterly and completely compromised himself and the court itself. But we know it's not going to happen. These texts are shocking, but they should also serve as a fucking wake-up call to those who keep questioning just how far these fucking lunatics have burrowed themselves into the levers of power. They may squawk at the so-called deep state, but so far, the only deep state is the Christian nationalists who have anointed themselves as the savior of this nation's soul and who will do anything to keep Donald Trump in power. If that doesn't strike fear into the depths of your soul, I don't know what will.
And now for the main event. My next guest on Mea Culpa is the Lincoln Project advisor and ad man Rick Wilson, who more than anyone helped build the modern Republican Party pre-Donald Trump. His political ads not only helped elect then Mayor Rudy Giuliani, but also George Herbert Walker Bush. An early convert and never Trumper, Wilson has written two New York Times number one bestsellers. The first was entitled, Everything Trump Touches Dies, and lamented the Republican Party's realignment behind Donald Trump. In 2020, he released his second book, Running Against the Devil, a plot to save America from Trump and Democrats from themselves. In addition, Wilson hosts the wildly popular New Abnormal podcast for the Daily Beast with writer Molly Junk Fest, as well as the breakdown with Tara Setmayer on LPTV. My conversation with him today starts inside confirmation hearings for Katanji Brown Jackson, which he watched in growing anger as his former party debased themselves in an attempt to smear the future justice. So let's go now to that conversation. Okay, Rick, in reaction to the confirmation of Katanji Brown Jackson, you wrote the following, and I'm going to quote, the GOP's performance is just that, performance. Drama queen moments designed to get Fox News clips and to run the hamster wheel, like be a dick, get called on it, go on to Fox to whine about being canceled, send email for money, repeat. Would you do me a favor? First of all, it's hysterical. Would you unpack this for my listeners, what you were referring to and why? Sure. A absolutely, Michael. Look, the Republican Party as it is today, you know, it doesn't have a real ideology anymore. It's just a performance art exhibition every time. So Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley and Lindsey Graham, almost all of them have voted for Judge Brown before to lifetime federal appointments to the bench at the appeals level and others. And so what they're doing now, they know the cameras are on them and it's a big professional wrestling moment where they're all going to pretend to be outraged or pretend to be pissed off and pretend that she's done things that are absolutely outrageous and they can never. And they're waiting in this cycle over and over again. We call it the hamster wheel where a Republican campaign, you know, they want to get a raise a little money or gets a little attention. So they'll go out and they'll say something completely outrageous and stupid. And then people will criticize them and say, hey, that was outrageous and stupid. Then they'll go on Fox or some other network and scream, oh, my God, they're trying to cancel me. How dare they? And then when they're done with their interview, they'll go out and they'll issue a press release and they'll put out an email saying, hey, send us $100 because the, the did you see me on Fox defending myself against the woke liberal mob? And it just it's, it's this it's this endless wheel of BS that they get, they do these days. And it's and, and this hearing is just a big opportunity for guys like Graham and Hawley, who all want to be president if Trump gets hit by a bus. It's a big opportunity for them to go out and, and, and preen and strut around. None of it means anything. They know she's almost certainly going to be confirmed. It's all just a show. It's a fundraising and, 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 and political exhibition rather than any sort of actual, you know, uh, legitimate ideological or personal concern about her record. Yeah, I mean, well, look, you know, then, of course, you had what I thought was a hysterical moment there when uh, Ted Cruz you know, started bringing out the uh, the book and talking about her, you know, right. um, being on the board of, I think it was what, Georgetown Prep. 
boy, did she school right. him. I mean, that was... She took him down. I mean, th- she was putting up with none of his shit on that. It's a private school, like the co- school his kids go to, by the way. Um, and I, look, I think she has enormous self-confidence and poise. And, and he hated that. So, you know, she she was not putting up with any of his garbage. And and Cruz, I think, was probably the most egregious of all the guys during this hearing. Well, well we're, well, we're going to get we're, we're going to get into him. We're okay, going to okay. definitely get into him. But, but yeah, I mean, she she was very clear about that. And she's like, you know, I don't think any child should be made to feel guilty or feel like they're a victim or an oppressor. And and, you know, she wrapped it up. I thought she really like baited the hook. And at the end of it, when she said, and Georgetown Prep is a private school, Senator, you know, I thought that was really quite a uh, quite a clever, uh, a clever uh, uh, closing of the trap on on Ted. Yeah, well, it certainly was. I mean, look, we're, we're, and we're going to get into Ted, but I just found it fun because I used to sit on the board. I was uh, on the executive board of my children's prep school. I ultimately became the chairman of the board of trustees. Believe it or not, I was asked to resign simply because Trump won. And at that point in time, I was affiliated to him. You know, I, I took it as a personal insult the same way that she did. The same way that, you know, um, Ms. You know, Brown Jackson, um, you know, did. But boy, did she, did she present herself as a likable, um, a really just... Uh, a relatable, relatable right? yeah, that's the word I was looking for. Relatable. First of all, there's something very pleasant about her. You know, she she doesn't get rocked. She smiles. She sort of seems like she's enjoying right. the hearings. Now, of course, it's easy to enjoy the hearings when it's the Democrat that's asking you the question. And the part I think that really touched <laughs> me the most is when she started to shed a tear when Cory Booker. Um, and you know, I, I happen yeah. to like Cory Booker. Look, they're not every. Everything he does, I like. And I'm not supposed to like everything that the politician does. We're all just different people. We come from different places. We have different mindsets. But the way that he turned around and he expressed himself, it reminded, was so reminiscent of my moment before the House Oversight Committee when Elijah Cummings made that speech. When I think about it, I still get choked up and I and I have to fight off tears, you know, um, so I know how she felt. And it was for me, it was relatable, but I find her relatable and I find those that want to attack her. Like, look, I know Marsha Blackburn. Marsha must have been in my office 30 times. I must have spoken to her at least 30, 50 more times before that. I never figured her to be the fucking nut job that she is. I mean, I don't know if she's, I don't know, you know what she's playing to, Rick. I don't know if it's, if she's just a racist. Yeah. I don't know if she's lost her fucking mind. I don't know. Hey, Michael, I mean, look, I, I mean, Marsha Blackburn six years ago was a hard conservative, but she wasn't completely as batshit as she seems to be now. Because now she seems like she's gone way, way off the rails. And I can't, you know. Her, her her behavior in this is is like right up there at the top of the most egregious. But I, but I do think to to go back to Corey for one second, that really was and Corey and I have disagreed on. Yeah, points, me too. But that really was a really human a human moment, you know. And and it was a moment of of stepping out of the 
of the 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 like professional wrestling BS that was mm-hmm. going all mm-hmm. around them. And it was a it was a it was a heartwarming thing. And we don't get a lot of that in politics. No, 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 we don't. And I think that's probably what we're missing. And not only is it that we're missing this, this is what gave Trump the rise to power. This is what put Trump into of the course. office. Because say whatever you want. He's relatable. He's a fucking idiot. And he says shit that you say or that you would want to say. And he became relatable to an area of the American population that is not far right and it's not far left. And it's somewhere in the dead center. And he called it the silent majority. And motherfucker was right. He was right. He became you know, relatable always, because you, of you, you yeah, because it, of the apprentice, because of the stupid you shit. You said it one time. You, you said it one time, and it was just perfect. It was like he is, he is, you know, you know, he's he's capable of loyalty, but he's not loyal. He's capable of kindness, but he's not kind. He's capable of of compassion, but he's not compa- whatever it was. It was just like this perfect encapsulation of even though it's fake, there were people that bought it. Even though there were people, you know, they they didn't they weren't appealing to he didn't appeal to their ideological center. He appealed to their emotional center, and that is the same thing. Right now, is it, you see these two poles. Like Corey was trying to appeal to people's emo- positive emotional center, and Cruz and Blackburn and the rest are trying to appeal to the negative center. This entire this entire thing it is this since basically McConnell knows she's going to pass. These guys are going to put on a show, and it really is representative of the post-Trump Republican Party of, you know, anger, fear, uh, outrage, all the negative emotional axis of, of things. And look, I, I I'm not a lawyer. I haven't read her record. I'm sure there are plenty of positions she takes that I don't agree with. You don't agree with, but is she qualified? Clearly. I mean that that part I have read. She's she's done everything in the legal sector you can do, from public defender to to you know Supreme Court clerk, all these things. So she's qualified. She's got a a a, a judicial temperament that I think we've all seen now, and and so because they know McConnell's not going to burn down Washington to kill her nomination, that's why the the shouting and the screaming and the hair pulling from. Holly and Cruz and the rest is even more both dramatic and pointless. Yeah. And talk about, for example, you know, Josh Hawley's comments about um, her and pedophilia and all that. You know, it's, I find it's. Yeah, this QAnon right, shit. I, I find what it, it is. so disgusting in the fact that, need I remind everybody, especially my listeners here today? On who's being charged of pedophilia in the Republican Party? Hello, Matt Gates. Right? Matt Gaetz, I mean, hello. He- hello to him. And now all of a sudden, because she represented someone or that she was light on a sentence for it. Um, look, I think it's beyond disgusting. And you know, if I had my if I had my way, you know, I think I probably I would have been certainly harsher than she but here's the difference it wasn't mm-hmm. my call it's not my call to make on what the you know on what the determination right. is it's hers and for whatever her reason might be 
It's her right. She's the one that's sitting in the chair. No different than even when Trump was sitting in the chair. I would hope that every single person out there, Republican, Democrat, Independent, would want to see Trump succeed. The notion that you want Biden to fail or that you wanted Trump to fail when they're president of the United States is fucking asinine. It's like getting onto a plane, right? And because they, they moved your bag and instead of being able to put it in the overhead stowage they had to check it now you want the plane to crash i want my country right (laughs) i want my country to do well to succeed i want us to remain the superpower economic and military that we are because if you have a strong america you have a strong world and unfortunately under trump right we became a weak america and that's why we're going through all the shit that we're going through right now I think when you I think when you end up with a divided society that people exploit politically, you have a weaker country. And and when you have a country that can, that unifies itself, you have a stronger country. And I mean, look at look at Ukraine. They have unified themselves in a time of terrible crisis. But that unity is is a is a weapon in their hands. It's not just it's not just anti tank missiles and and stinger for shoot down airplanes. It is their unity as a people. And we've had a hard time with that in this country. And, and you know, to be fair, it's not wasn't just under Trump. We've had we've had a, a, a divided country for a long time. It got worse in that era. And the idea that used to be that politics stopped at the water's edge and we all supported America's security, you know, because if you looked at an arc, if you took from Truman to Eisenhower to JFK to LBJ to Nixon to Re- Reagan, all the way through. They're they're they all opposed oppression and authoritarianism overseas. And now there's like a part of the GOP that's like, yeah, you know, Putin's not so bad. I don't know. You got the former president of the United States calling him a genius. And what a great move for less than two dollars. He's able to walk into another country and take their land. I mean, I just want people to think about. But, you know, I want to go back to this hearing yesterday, Rick, if I can. Right. Yeah. 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 Who in your mind? is the most cringeworthy, unhinged, right? What was the, the most unhinged performance of the hearing? Yeah, I, I, I like always, Michael, you got to go with Ted Cruz. He's just like the all time. <laughs> yeah, the, the guy bats, the guy bats a, a thousand in these, in these things, and it never seems to fail. Um, he's just so personally smarmy and, and, and scuzzy that, and he thinks he's this enormously brilliant you know, legal scholar, and it comes across as, you know, whiny bitch trying to play gotcha with her. You know, when he's like, Do you, could you tell if I'm Asian? I would, I was a little part of me was like hoping, was like hoping she said, no, but I can tell you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, there's something so but, wrong with Yeah. Him. Cruz is the worst of the worst. Holly is like a smarter version of Cruz. He kind of presents a little better. Um, and he was in a close second, but. Lindsey Graham is also in a category all his own, all the fake drama. And you know, Lindsey, he's, he's all, it's all fake with him. All the outrage and the, I, I, I declare, how dare you, Adam? You know, all that stuff. It's just a show. And, and, you know, somebody one time said that Lindsey Graham was like a pilot fish. <laughs> he's always swimming along, trying to find the next big shark to follow along. And he seems kind of lost and pissy and dramatic right now. And it just, I, I think he was shameful. I just, just shameful. Yeah, what I really like the most is, again, you know, um, you know, Katanji Brown-Jackson is just so 
refined and she's so poised, yep. right? So I was reading this. I was reading yep. this article in the Guardian, and you know, I found it right. to be like the single most concise description of this, you know, cringe monster, this scumbag, right? Ted Cruz, which you know, just again tying him into now Ukraine as an example. You see somebody like Zelensky. Right. And the United States and other countries offered him a plane ride to get out of there with his family. Leave. Something very similar to like what Mm -hmm. happened with um, John McCain. And he said, I don't want your plane ride. What I want is ammunition, bullets, guns, missiles. I need, I want, I want from you help to defend my country. I don't want to leave it. Right. But not like Ted Cruz. COVID comes along, and where is where is COVID cruise going? Cancun cruise is right. But, you know, look, so in The Guardian, they turn and they describe Katanji Brown-Jackson. She's age 51, younger than both of us, right? Mm-hmm. With almost a yep. decade's experience as a federal judge behind her. And if confirmed, yep. she'll be the history-making right distinction of becoming the first black woman to sit on the nation's highest court. And she's being asked questions by Ted Cruz and others whether babies are racists. I mean, it's it's comical. It's just comical. So way to go, way to go, Ted. You and your staff must have spent fucking hours sitting there and saying, hey, what could we do? And then her response was great. I don't believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or not valued or less than that they are victims or oppressors, right? And then, of course, Ted, who must have practiced this shit over and over because he's a fucking freak, right? He did. You know, he refuses to drop the issue and refuses to drop the topic until she finally smacks the living shit out of him and makes him look as stupid as this line of questioning i haven't re- and she turns around and she says i have not reviewed any of those books they don't come up in my work as a judge which i'm respectfully right. here to address what a perfect answer it's like why don't you go fuck yourself in macy's window and ask me something <laughs> right you know i don't go to macy's to buy my groceries don't ask me questions about a child book when i'm here to address hopefully becoming a Supreme Court judge. Exactly. And and I do think it, it is, look, culture war is all they have left. It's all they do now. And, and c- critical race theory is like the centerpiece of their culture war thing. And the, and the code words of soft on crime um, is, is, is a, the racial centerpiece of it. Cause we all know what that really means when you're, when you're talking about it in a political context, against an african-american woman judge and and the child porn stuff is to appeal to their QAnon base and the crazies that believe that hillary clinton runs a global child sex predator ring in a pizza restaurant in washington dc they're all all this culture war stuff it's all they really have you notice ted cruz isn't out there saying you know on this uh, on this significant case let's talk about the legal underpinnings of how this was approached as a constitutional question it's none of that. It's all this gotcha bullshit. It's all this, you know, did you once not sentence a child molester to 19 years when he should he could have had 19.5? You know, it's all this stuff that just, you know, it, it is it is 
it is as insignificant as it is insulting when you get right down to it. They're insulting her intelligence and America's intelligence by pretending that the biggest thing in America that the, that the, that the Supreme Court will face is critical race theory. It's absurd. Well, it's so absurd that the GOP, it was hours before, you know, um, Ted Cruz's thing, they, um, they posted a GIF, right, you know, um, on, yeah, right, I saw uh, it. bearing, yeah. you know, um, Katanji, um, you know, Brown Jackson's initials, KBJ, which then somehow gets scratched out and replaced with the letters CRT, right, for critical race theory. And... I'm just thinking to myself, is this the best that they can do? Because then, of course, you know, the whole it, thing. Actually, right? it, actually, it kind well, of it's, Well, then it's really sad because then, of course, this yeah. stupid asshole goes on to talk about, you know, Georgetown um, Day School where, you know, she sits on the right. board um, of trustees. And once again, she slapped him like a child talking about how that school was founded in 1945, right? Made right. history as the first integrated school serving both black and white children in the nation's capital, founded yep. specifically by, I think it was like three Jewish families and three black families who wanted, mm -hmm. who didn't want segregation. They wanted integration. Right, they wanted opportunities. Yes. Uh, you know, look, she is an American success story. She is an Ameri the American dream writ large. The imperfection of our beginnings in this country, the, the fact that, that, that slavery was in our constitutional framework in the beginning was a fundamental flaw that we suffered through and addressed, and we haven't, we haven't ever fully fixed all the aspects of that in our society, but we're working on it. And the, and the great thing about America is that we can move forward, we can improve, and she shows that opportunity is there. Now, you know, the, the objections to her from all these people in the, in the, on the Republican side, again, they're not ideological. They know she's going to make it through. They are also optical. They don't want to see a smart, poised, brilliant legal scholar of her of her nature and merit on the bench they don't want that they would much prefer somebody they can caricature and somebody they can insult and somebody they can use as a as a boogeyman and somebody they can use to scare people with and i, I do think you know I, I really i think it's really heartening that that the president chose her and and i think it's time you know if we're gonna if we're gonna pretend that that she's not qualified well you know, you're you're a fool if you say that. If you're going to pretend that she's out of the judicial mainstream, you're also probably a fool if you're going to say that. But if you're going to pretend that she doesn't, that, that it wouldn't be a good thing for this country to put an African American woman on the bench, you're a damn fool if you're going to yeah, say that. I listen, amen to that. And you know what? Kudos, kudos to Joe Biden for picking her yeah. specifically, as well as the other two. They're also very qualified but she just stands out sure. there's something special about her and you know those that want to dislike her because she's black fuck them those that want to despise dislike yeah, her them. because she's a woman fuck them too and those that really want to despise her because she's a black woman you know listen do i have to say it a third time fuck them too right you know i saw some comments yesterday by people like charlie kirk and some others that they basically did everything but call her uppity. 
I mean, they they were insulting as could be. It's like I don't want to. I don't want my children to be facing judgments by that kind of person. Really, what what, what are you trying to say there, guys? You just going to go ahead and use the N word and get it over with because that's what an awful lot of this comes down to. And what a and, wonderful and it's, family! It's no use pretending right? that it's not. Right, right. What a wonderful family! What a great family. Husband's a surgeon. She's a lawyer. You know, yeah. she's giving back to the community. Like, look, my father's a sur- my father's a surgeon, right? I have I, my right. mom was right. a surgical nurse, which is how they met. My three siblings and I, all lawyers, and so on. You would say that's a wonderful family. Why? Because we're white. Because we're Jewish. What a beautiful family. And I always wanted to give back. So I joined the board to be able to help people. And I see she did the same thing. So not right. You're going to call her uppity? Why? Because she wants the same thing that you want and that I want and that I want for my children and you want for your children and she wants for her children. And that's the American success story. It really, you know, and it really is something that, hey, look, I know it's like, whistling past the graveyard it, it there would have been a time where half the republicans on that panel would have said i disagree with your politics and your and some of your you know ideology but this is a great moment for america but that time is gone you know now they're going to vote 100 percent straight down party lines of that committee and and every republican will issue a dramatic eye-rolling hair-pulling speech about it's the end of Western civilization because of this woman going on the bench, blah, 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 blah. And look, she's going to get confirmed, but it it could be a moment where Americans were, were proud of an accomplishment in the long history of racial uh, matters in this country that really is a big signifier. You know, I fought hard against Barack Obama when he ran for president. I fought hard. I, you know, we the, we we went at it, hammer and tongs against the guy. But you had to admit that electing an African American president was a was a unequivocally good thing for this country to do. You had to admit it, and 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 I didn't have to agree with him on policy or ideology. I I knew it was a good thing in the history of this country, given how fraught our racial history has been. To do that. And it really came down to it really came down to with her the same kind of story. We should be proud of the fact that this president named an African-American woman, not because she was African-American, but because she was highly qualified and it didn't matter. That's and, what I was you know, going to interrupt he, you. And he didn't say. he didn't cut the he didn't cut the standard to, to bring right. her on. She was at the at the top of the standard regardless right. And that's, I was going to say the same thing. I, on the other hand, uh, a little different than you, I was a Barack Obama supporter. um, And I also don't agree with all of his policies. But then again, I've said it on this show so many times, but it is, again, worth repeating. Like Ed Koch said, if you agree with me eight out of 12 times, you should vote for me. If you agree with me 12 out of 12 times, you should see a psychiatrist. I don't agree with you on 12 (laughs) out of 12 things. I don't agree with my wife or my children. Fuck, I don't even agree with myself 12 out of 12 times. And so the notion that this guy and I have to agree on everything, I thought it would be great for America to have an African-American, to have a, you know, to have a black president. Absolutely. I wanted it. But I wouldn't want it if he wasn't qualified. 
And the guy was qualified. Correct. And the guy created great alliances, not just, you know, um, abroad, but here, you know, domestically, except for those people who are just fundamentally fucking racist. But, you know, I just want to jump forward right. for a quick second here because the GOC, the GOP, they seem to be taking an absolute beating for how they behaved in these hearings. I mean, look at you and I talking about it. Are there any repercussions yeah. Or do the MAGA racist fuckheads just lap this up? Sadly, they lap this up because, it, again, it's all part of their culture war. It's all part of their um, their idea that 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 politics is only tribal now. And unless you're in the MAGA tribe, you're you're a monster and you're a child molester and you're a, and you're the devil and you're evil. And and so they will and they're going to treat this as this imaginary battle against liberals and the deep state and the far left and all this other crap. And, you know, uh, yesterday I saw some Republican like, oh, she's like a George Soros liberal. I'm like, stop. If George Soros is that much of a socialist mastermind, he's been doing it for 40 years. He's done a pretty shitty job because <laughs> we're still a capitalist country, you know? And, and I just, I just think that they will, they will of course centerpiece on this. They will, they will hold to it. They will cling to it. Um, but only because it's part, like I said in the beginning of that, that bullshit hamster wheel to please the Fox News audience, to please their base, to to drive donations, to to fuel the culture war. And and it it won't. There's not a lot of incentives against it yet in the country because we're the districts are so drawn to be Republican where where, where the districts are red. They're very red. There are very few swing seats anymore. There's only about 20, 25 swing seats total in Congress. Um, and so it is a it is a challenge to see how they will learn any lessons from being a bunch of racist fuckers. Oh, that's really, it's, it's sad. But, you know, I'd like to try to think or believe that, you know, there, there are 22 members. I believe it's like half and half here, Republican and Democrat on the Senate judiciary. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to believe... Right that there are going to be several Republicans voting for her confirmation. And again, not because she's a black female, but because she's qualified and happens to be black and a female, right? So I really hope right. that what you're saying is not the reality because it would just be so wrong for America to show the world that this is yeah. really who we are. You know, we're, we're this great nation. We believe in, in women's rights. We believe in, you know, we, we have our, our constitution, our democracy, but yet I have to look at you differently because you're of some race, gender, creed, color, etc. Right. It just makes us look like we're back in the stone ages of stupidity. And just completely, just completely foolish. So I really do, you know, hope. Look, the MAGA race had fuckheads, right? These these racist pieces of shit, no matter what, simply just by looking right. at her, they dislike her, they want to attack her, and so on. But my hope is that that's a very small fringe, um, and hopefully getting smaller. Yeah, the, the problem with that fringe, though, Michael, the problem with that fringe, though, Michael, is that they have taken a disproportionate amount of power inside the GOP. Because the Republicans, broadly, the ones that aren't the racist fuckheads, they realize between 10 and, say, 12% of the base 
really are motivated by racial animus and racial hatred and all that. And they can't win without that part of the base. They can't win without that extreme edge uh, of the base. And they're worried that if they, if they reprimand them and say, stop being assholes, they'll lose that. And those people will either stay home or, or vote for a third party. Um, you know, and that's a disaster for them politically. So they, they, they recognize that that, that that part of the base that really believes in things like, you know, oh, Black Lives Matter is a terrorist movement and, and you know, uh, that George Floyd deserved what he got and all those things. Those people are not inconsiderable in the Republican, in, in the, the, the mix of, of votes the Republican Party needs to get to be victorious. And probably, you know, Rick, and, I wonder, I wonder, because you just sparked something in my, in, in my mind that, do you think it's possible that the reason why these same people are so pro-Putin is because Zelensky is Jewish? Uh, let me tell you that I have started to see that creeping in more and more into the social media. Um, and, and that's always sort of a red flag. And, and this idea that that a, a Western-leaning um, uh, Jewish president of a country um, is up against Vladimir Putin, who a lot of people on the right idolize as the savior of white, straight Christianity. Now, and, and look, it's all bullshit because Putin's a thug and a criminal. But they, a lot of Republicans believed that for a long time. They thought, well, Putin doesn't like LGBTQ stuff in Russia, and he claims to be a Christian, and he claims to be you know, and he doesn't like the immigrants coming in from Africa and he won't let them into Russia. So they saw this guy who a generation ago, coal warriors fought against, but now they see him as kind of an idol. And the fact that their savior of white straight Christianity in Russia is going up against a Jewish guy um, in Ukraine, there is a definite element there. And, and I've said this a hundred times, you know, not all the radical you know, crazy pants anti-Semites are Republicans, but a lot, you know, uh, but or not all Republicans are crazy, crazy pants, radical anti-Semites, but most of the crazy radical anti-Semites are, are now in that Putin wing of the Republican yeah, amazing. Party. Amazing. And, you know, to, to be honest with you, and then I want to move on, I actually don't think that Putin is an anti-Semite at all. Um, you know, he may be, he, no, I, don't he, think I don't believe is, no. he is at all. In, in fact, I'm pretty sure almost a hundred percent that he is not. Now, is he a thug? Is he, what is what he's doing in the Ukraine? Yeah, just despicable and, and grotesque and, you know, and, and yeah. I mean, is he becoming a lunatic? Absolutely. But I don't believe that he's an anti-Semite right. at all. There's I many things to call him, but that's not one of them. Remember, American American rightists are very good at projecting their values onto right. their idols. A lot of them projected their values onto Trump uh, and and their policies. Like evangelicals who loved Trump, they thought, "Oh, he's one of us," and you know better than anybody. <laughs> that's yeah. not Donald no. Trump. No, but you know what, Rick? I want I want to move on for a second because you know there was something that I saw yeah. on your on your Twitter feed that um, I'm very curious about. Um, so speaking of like cringeworthy, uh, you know, scenarios, I mean, I want to talk about Wilson's rule number two, right? There are two kinds of people in this world, <laughs> Ted Cruz and the people who hate Ted Cruz. 
If you would, explain right. to my listeners how you came up with this unified theory of, I guess you called it assholery. Also, I'm more, I'm more yes. curious, because I agree with you, Ted Cruz is just an asshole. Um, what's Wilson's rule number one? I couldn't find it. It's everything Trump touches dies, uh, my friend. <laughs> yeah, well, look, look at me, you know. Everything Trump touches <laughs> that, dies. That is, that is the other universal constant. You know, it's it's... With Ted, though, Matthew Dowd has a great phrase because everybody sort of all of us sort of met Ted Cruz in the 2000 Bush era. Right. And he was this young, hustling lawyer, but he was just the biggest jerk off you'd ever met. OK. And Matthew Dowd has a great way of putting it. He said, why, why do people hate Ted Cruz so quickly? And the answer is it just saves time. <laughs> he is. He's just a bad, he's just an egregious person. And, and, and no one in Washington, including his colleagues who look and sound ideologically like him, can stand Ted Cruz. I talked to a, a senator one time in the same basic class of Ted Cruz. who's um, just like, you can't trust him. You can't like him. He's just scummy in every way. And there's nothing about this guy that you can ever trust or believe. Um, and, it, and the only person he cares about is himself. And he showed it with Trump. You know, he showed it with Trump. If you said my dad helped kill JFK, I'd punch you in the goddamn mouth. Well, that's, that's not even the most egregious thing that we did to Ted Cruz. Uh, I mean, oh, how I about calling yeah. his wife ugly, right? Uh, as well yeah. as, you know, um, Lion Ted. I mean, there are so many more things that have been done and said by Trump to Ted Cruz. And yet... Ted Cruz is hanging on to Trump's ankle like a lapdog. He absolutely is. And you know what? There's nothing about there's nothing about Ted Cruz in in the real world that is tough or 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 centered no. or smart. He is a guy who is he's he's a he's a bully and he's a he's a bitch. And you know, nothing says it better than he's out in Montana last weekend and he gets in a in a spat with a airline or an airport employee yeah, I saw that. when he's trying to get a plane and he can't get and he used the words no politician should ever use under any circumstances or no human frankly do you know who i am i mean it's just like get the fuck out of here you bitch yeah i, yeah, I, mean, I know who you are you greasy a... cocksucker so look let me, yeah, he, <laughs> so rick another yeah. great quote from you on this string was and i'm going to quote it now no matter how terrible predictable and phony it is the culture war is central. That's why all the bits about child porn and crime and sentencing are blown like foghorns to the QAnon MAGA crazy shit. Is the GOP simply now become all culture war all the time and nothing else for the benefit of the MAGA set? And, you know, is the winning form, is this the winning formula for the midterm? You know, Michael, here's the, here's the thing. As dreadful as the the centrality of the culture war is now it is a major element of the of the republicans victorious campaign strategy in a lot of cases and i have to say it's true democrats will take the bait on it over and over again and defend against things they shouldn't be defending on it will distract them from talking about other stuff and and you know in politics when you're explaining you're losing so when they're like 
well, no, we don't believe critical race theory should do this. Republicans just eat that shit up because they don't hear the denial. They hear that you're that, that you're accepting the premise of their question. And they do. Republicans do this in order to make Democrats take the premise of their question. You know, but it's like the line defund the police in 2020 very nearly lost the election for Joe Biden. It didn't take a lot of Democrats saying it and a lot weren't only a couple. But they managed to sneer the rest of the Democratic Party. And then James Clyburn said to us, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. African-Americans don't want to defund the police. That's ridiculous. They're they're in the neighborhoods that need the police lawful and correctly applied policing most. And so, you know, the, the culture war is a great stunt for Republicans. And it's often a place where Democrats go to die. And I'll tell you why. Democrats believe in ideological, the, uh, an ideologically homogenous country. So they often think that a Democrat in Ohio should be just as liberal in every way as a Democrat in Manhattan or Seattle or San Francisco or Los Angeles. The majority of the country's Democrats are not as progressive as the ones that are on TV all the time and the ones that are famous on Twitter um, and the ones that go on MSNBC every couple of days. The most Democrats are pretty center left. Most Republicans are pretty center right. But the extremities of the party in the Democratic side, they want things that the rest of America is not is not great with. They they, they push policies that that Republicans convert very easily to scare um, the, those more squishy moderate Democrats with and peel them off. And, you know, it's one of those things that, that, look, there have been like four big culture wars in the country in the last 20 years, 30 years. Gay marriage. Republicans lost that culture war. They lost it because America believes gay marriage is fine. That's it. It's, it's, it's it. Marijuana and legalization. Republicans lost it. Dope's pretty much legal everywhere now to some degree or another and will be completely at some point very soon. They fought to a draw on abortion where America isn't, the, Americans aren't fans of abortion, but they also don't want to ban it as a general, like broad speaking rule. And on guns, they lost the culture war completely. Republicans won that culture war, hands down, 40% of the weapons purchased in this country in the last year have been by African-Americans or Hispanics. That, that culture war is over. But the Republicans will always find another culture war to fight. They'll always find another one to bring back up. And especially the racially driven culture wars like CRT um, and, 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 the, and the broad category of crime will always reemerge over and over and over again. Yeah, yeah. It's, listen, it's true. So let me ask you this then. What the fuck is wrong then with Lindsey Graham? I mean, you know, I mean, talk about theatrics. Why did he storm out of the yeah. room like someone farted on, you know, right next to him? I mean, it was it was to he wanted, you know, let me tell you, Lindsey Graham, the most dangerous place in Washington, D.C. is between Lindsey Graham and a yeah. TV camera. He is a media whore. And I mean that word in every possible dimension of the highest order. He wanted to show uh, a moment where he could get on Fox News you know, where he could get on all the right wingers who, who were skeptical of him still from the McCain era, and he could do a demonstration of his outrage and how 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 passionate he was about something. It's just professional wrestling. 
Michael. It's just bullshit. Everything about Lindsey Graham, you do not convert from being John McCain's wingman and a serious foreign policy and defense person to being Donald Trump's shoeshine boy, which Graham converted himself into in yeah. the space of one year, in the space of one year, you don't do that. That would be, you know, it, it's just like, it, 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 it's just, in a, you know, people don't change like that. Change takes time. And, <clears throat> and Graham just converted overnight to Trumpism. So he is a fake. He is a complete phony in every way. His outrage is fake. It's all a show. His his seriousness as a as a as a person on the judiciary committee is is theatrical only. Um, and again, he is a guy who believes in nothing except Lindsey Graham. Yeah. Look. Yeah. Again. You know. I sat there and I watched. You know the theatrics. I. It was. It was almost like it was scripted. Right now, like like oh, it, like was. in a movie. No, um, make, pause. Make no mistake, make, Michael. Make no mistake. It was scripted. Right. Pause. Stand. Head left. Head right. Show anger in the eyes. Grin. You know. Grin menacely and mm-hmm. storm out. And I can't figure out what was it that he was storming. What's the big grievance? I I'm still trying to figure out. Which I'm asking you, of course, as an expert. What was what well, was he here, so angry the, about? He was pretending to be angry about the uppity black woman. What he was really doing was again trying to get to the hamster wheel. I'm outraged. Storm off. Go on Fox News. Say I was outraged and I stormed off, and now they're trying to cancel me. And tomorrow or tonight or today or whenever it is, he'll send out a fundraising email to his email list and saying. I stormed out because I am so principled and I hate this uppity black woman and I'm not going to put up with her sass. And and he'll raise money off of it and then he'll find the next stunt to do the next time around and it will just never end, Michael. It just goes on and on and on. It iterates to next to next to next. And these guys all know it. They know their base doesn't believe in anything anymore. They don't believe in free markets. They don't believe in individual liberty. They don't believe in the Constitution, really. They believe in power. They believe in getting what they want. They believe in you know the the use and abuse and retention of power is the centerpiece yes. of everything. And to do that, they fuel the outrage machine. So he was just shoveling coal in the outrage machine. I mean, you know, <clears throat> what they've learned, and at least Lindsey Graham, who is probably considered a moron by most people, what he learned <laughs> from Trump is to find a topic – and exploit that topic. Now, I think you and I and just about everybody will agree that, you know, spending 12 to 13 million dollars a year, right, for these Guantanamo Bay detainees per person, it's 450 million dollars a year in order to right. hold, right, right, these 39 detainees. I agree. I agree. It is a waste of $450 million, right? Lindsay. No question. I agree. It's a lot. Should we put them in the Supermax in Colorado, in Florence, Colorado, which would reduce that amount? I don't know. Sure. Why the fuck not? Do I care where they're being detained? It's a handful of people down there now. Do I care where they're being detained? No. 
However, what he decided to do, right, what he decided to do is to take this issue and blow it up because, um, because Katanji Brown-Jackson went ahead and she had represented one of the detainees as a lawyer and, so, yep. and filed a motion on his behalf for whatever the reason might be. And I don't know the case at all. But that's what lawyers do. Right now, I'm not saying that Correct. nobody's going to say that she agrees that this guy is not or should not be. I, I don't know the case enough, but he's entitled to a lawyer. And if she was part of that, you know, that group that was there and, you know, expressing a certain point of view, how does that negate all of the things that she has done so far to date as a jurist? If, 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 if this is one of those fundamental things. If they believe that even the most egregious people do not deserve an attorney and legal representation, then we don't live in a constitutional republic. We live in a banana republic because that is one of the fundamental underlying principles of our constitution. It protects the rights of those who are facing prosecution by the state. And even if they are the worst goddamn people in the world, Unless we try them in a system where they receive the ability and they have the ability to receive a defense, we are not in a system where the rule of law and justice functions. And so their their idea that she's done something wrong by 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 you know representing people, even if they're not the people that you want to have over for dinner. You know what? These Al-Qaeda fucks, I would throw them to the sharks if I could get away with it. But the system we have and the rule of law is important. And, and justice has to be exercised in a system where the accused are able to have a defense. And if they don't, we don't have a system of justice. We have a system of injustice. And it's, if it's arbitrary and capricious and, and there's no defense, then we're not in a good place. She didn't pick those people because she believes in Al Qaeda. And so it, it, she, she picked those people or represented those people because she believed that the Constitution requires the American system of justice exercise within the constraints that it lays out in the Constitution, which means even people who are guilty get represented in court. I guess that it's a long winded way of saying it, but it, it, it is it's an offensive statement on their part because. It really, it really throws a lie in the face of their like. I believe exactly. in the Constitution, except for those Arabs. Right. You know, it's just a, it's, it's a, it's a. I mean, I'm egregious. shocked Lindsay didn't turn around and say, you know, for one box of bullets, which is under thirty dollars, which is under a dollar, we can shoot <laughs> one each one in the head. And so, I mean, he's just like I said, he's just another Ted Cruz fucking fool. Now, I do want to say though, Rick, yeah. I particularly enjoyed your op-ed last week in the Washington Post. So oh, I, thank I, you. Okay, you're welcome. Where you wrote that no matter the outcome of the war in Ukraine, Republicans will find a way to turn it against President Biden. How effective has this been so far for the GOP? It hasn't been that effective yet for two reasons. One, Biden has played this given the risk factors we face. Um, he doesn't want a guns of August World War I situation where trying to do the right thing leads us into a global conflagration. He's been very disciplined and careful. He's gotten Ukraine a lot of the support they need from Europe. He has strengthened NATO tremendously, unlike Trump, who did not like NATO and thought he should dismantle it because they weren't paying him enough. 
Um, he has strengthened NATO and said, you know, the, 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 that we will defend every inch of, of NATO soil. He has been very careful about using the power of America's economic might to to strip the Russians of what they want the most, which is a life in the West where they can enjoy their ill-gotten gains. He has been very smart about using the intelligence uh, in our in this country, not only to keep the Ukrainians informed and ready to fight, um, but also to warn Putin. We see everything. We know everything. We're going to tell when you're planning something, we're going to tell the world what you're doing. Um, so Biden has handled this very well so far, but the Republicans will find ways no matter what happens. Look, Vladimir Putin could surrender tomorrow um, and, and and leave in humiliation. Republicans would say, well, why didn't he do it five right. days before? Biden failed. Right. They will find any hole in 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 this storyline um, and turn it into Biden was weak. And remember, the first seven or eight days of this of this war that was their repeated storyline on every Republican media platform, on every Republican television show. Biden's weakness invited invited Putin to invade Ukraine. Biden, Biden, Biden was it's his fault. He made Putin do it because he was so weak. And and, and the irony of that is, you know, Joe Biden has he's a guy who who it, weirdly enough, like some presidents meet their moment and some mm-hmm. don't. Biden had kind of prepared for this moment for his whole career. And when he was in the in the Senate, Biden was always a foreign policy guy. Should I remember when I was in the Bush 41 administration, he was one of these guys with uh, Dick Lugar and Sam Nunn and others. They were all serious mm-hmm. people, uh, bipartisan, serious people who believed we had to spin down Russia um, and not risk nuclear war and loose nuclear weapons all over Europe. He was a responsible adult yeah, well, back then. He's not anymore. And speaking yeah, of are. other crazy shit that's going Ooh. on, Rick. All right. There's something I want to just switch a little bit gears because some obviously some new information has come out. And the whole GOP, to me, seems to be falling apart, despite the fact that they're still yeah. most likely to take the House. And so I want to talk for a second about Mo Brooks. All right. Like, what the hell is happening here? I mean, because last I checked, he was the MAGA king. And the next thing you know, Trump is accusing him of going woke. I mean, so, so Trump accuses him of going woke. They, after having what Trump would, dis, you know, would probably call as a perfect conversation. Next thing Mo Brooks finds out. And listen, I'm no Mo Brooks fan. Right. You know, next thing he finds out is that Trump is not endorsing him for his race. Right. Do me a favor. Talk to me about this. You know, here's the thing that Mo Brooks and look, you're, you're, you, you know, this lesson almost better than any human being on the planet. When you're done being useful to Donald Trump, you're done being in Donald Trump's yep. universe. And Mo Brooks started to look like he was losing in Alabama. Because Mitch McConnell's candidate is better funded, um, and because there there's a lot more uh, reasons to vote for 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 folks like Mike Durant, um, who who Mo Brooks accused me of being the mastermind behind Mike Durant's campaign the other day. I was like, I've never okay. met Mike Durant. I've never talked to Mike Durant or anybody around Mike Durant. I've never done anything in Alabama in this election cycle. But you know, you do you. Mo, but Mo Mo got Mo failed in two ways. One is he he said something 
vaguely not supportive of overturning the election completely. And that made mm-hmm. Trump furious. Trump had obviously been sitting on this this for a long time. He had asked Mo Brooks to basically, quote unquote, suspend the election and remove Biden and all these other things. And Mo Brooks didn't deliver. So when Mo started to show some political weakness, Trump went in there like a predator and and screwed him over. So it's a it's not untypical. It's not surprising. You you and I both know how Trump is about these things and you better than me or anybody. But, you know, Mo should not be surprised by Trump's disloyalty. Although I will give Mo Brooks a tiny itty bit of credit is that he's been telling what he knows now about Trump the last few days. And I, I tweeted the other day, I was like, well, the January 6th commission just got their star witness. <laughs> uh, you know what? Listen, I've heard that bullshit about star witnesses. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, you know, uh, for a long time. Now, everybody seems to be a star witness to the January 6th committee. With all due respect to them and to all of these, including like what recently happened here in New York right. with Alvin Bragg. Which and I don't even, I can't even Gold. grapple with that shit. That's crazy. Yeah, and you know, someone someone asked Dan Goldman about you know why, and he says, "Well, it's different what you know and then what you can prove." And Michael Cohen is a tarnished witness, and I say, "Dan, fuck you! All right, I'm a tarnished witness. Every single piece of information that I gave to you while you were sitting there trying to impeach Trump the first time and fucking failed. All right, how about the fact that everything is backed up by documentary evidence? How about the fact that I gave fifteen? I was with them, uh, the DA's office on." Under Cy Vance, along with Mark Pomerantz, Carrie Dunn, and a team of real professionals, I gave them 15 meetings, several hours each and every meeting, 10,000 documents. When, when Mark Pomerantz, right, a seasoned veteran, comes out and tells you he would have been indicted and he probably would have been convicted. It is not for Alvin Bragg to turn around and to say, well, unless I can guarantee a successful matter that I'm not going to proceed. He now has deprived America, certainly the state of New York, and the 12 jurors that would have had to decide that. And it's wrong. You know, a job of a prosecutor is not to convict. It's to prosecute. And, you know, I talk about this in this next book that I'm writing now called The Department of Injustice. And, you know, Judge Jed Rakoff, Southern District of New York, it's basically the premise of his book, right? Why Innocent People Plead Guilty. Their job is not to convict. Let the evidence, let the evidence be, you know, be put forth. Let the American people know exactly what went on. But it's the same shit with the January 6th committee. Mo Brooks will bring nothing to the fucking table. And in all fairness, if he was a decent human being, if he was a fucking American, fucking and if he did the right. job, if he did the job that he was supposed to do right. and, and fulfill his oath to the American people, right. including the people in his state, he should have already been there. Not simply because he's going to lose his seat, and I hope he does lose his seat. Oh, Though he's I'm out. sure the next yeah, asshole will be just as bad as he is. He's done. You know, but as Rick, we're coming on to the to the hour, and I have just one last question sure. for you. Because you highlighted a New York Times piece earlier this week that was entitled While Democrats Debate Latin X, Latinos head to the GOP. If you would, unpack for my listeners what was so urgent about this piece as we head into the midterms, and why are Latinos abandoning the Democratic Party in favor of the GOP? In all fairness, and I ask that question because the GOP has no respect for them. Of course not. And just look at Trump. Well, here's the, here's the, 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 
there's four layers of this problem. There's the Florida layer, which in South Florida, Venezuelan, Cuban migrants into this country, political or economic. Socialism is a bad goddamn brand for them. Socialism for them doesn't mean free health care and, and, and government pensions. For them, socialism means masked men kick down your goddamn door if you say something about Castro or Maduro. Socialism for them is, is terrifying. Republicans in 2020 and, and since then have beaten the socialism message to South Florida Hispanics over and over and over and over. And the Democrats don't do what they should do. They instead do things, the, what I call the dorm room act, like, well, socialism has never been tried. They do this bullshit <laughs> of, well, you know, Castro may not have been all bad. Didn't he do some good? Th-? No, they fucking hate socialism. They're scared of it. They fled their countries because of it. What Joe Biden or any Democrat worth their salt should do is stand in the middle of the Caliocho and say, Fidel Castro was a goddamn monster who should burn in hell. And I hate socialism with the fire of a million suns. And you're done. You defuse the, the argument. Now, the second layer of this question is in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, where Democrats look at, at Gen 1 Mexican voters and they say, well, they're, they're Hispanic. They must be Democrats. They are also high propensity churchgoers. They tend to be in either Catholic or Pentecostal churches. They are socially conservative. They are pro. They are pro life. They are. They are about economic growth. They are also about legal immigration. And I'm not being Stephen Miller here, but those folks, a lot of them, came here under programmatic immigration legally, and they don't like people who cheat. That is a big problem for the the messaging to those those folks in particular. In the rest of the country, in Arizona, in Nevada, in California, increasingly in North Carolina and in Georgia, you have a rising, and in the Orlando metro area of Florida and in parts of New Jersey, you have a rising group of Gen 1, Gen 2 Mexican immigrants and Puerto Rican who are already U.S. citizens but behaviorally will cluster them in Hispanics, who are entrepreneurial, who are family-oriented, who are not about the wokeism of politics. They are still from a culturally conservative background. And when you are confronting them with uh, the Democrats want to lecture you on how to talk, dress, act, think, they they rebel against it. And they are they are highly entrepreneurial. And Republicans in those areas are using messages about uh, economic prosperity, economic opportunity, taxes, et cetera, to appeal to them. They're not winning them in droves, but they're winning enough of them. Now, why was that article important? Because Latinx is a boutique, bullshit, academic term that a bunch of, of uh, uh, a tiny group of very, very, very liberal academics and social activists in New York and California thought was a way to not have to say Cuban and Dominican and Venezuelan and Honduran and Mexican. They thought it was a shorthand that would be appealing. But instead, it insulted these groups who all have a rich and, and, and cohesive cultural identity of their own. They felt like they were being blocked into one insulting pool. And it, and it was never something that – so if you had a, a 45-year-old Mexican-American electrician in the Phoenix suburbs, he was never going to go, hi, I'm, I'm, I'm Jose, I'm Latinx. He was going to say, I'm Mexican. Or if you had a, a woman entrepreneur in Miami, she was never going to say, oh, hi, I'm Bettina. I'm a, I'm a Latinx. She was going to say, I'm a Cuban or a Cuban-American. 
it's insulting and stupid. And it's the kind of like academic airy progressivism that, that gives Republicans a culture war opening to win over Hispanic voters. And the Democrats can't afford to lose that battle. Yeah. And the Democrats <laughs> look as, as a group, as a group, um, they're, they're just not as active, believe it or not, as the RNC. I mean, most people don't even know who the head of the DNC is, why he doesn't go ahead and call on people like yourself or myself with his 50 different people, you know, that would be so helpful in order to change the mindset of, you know, yeah. these Latinx groups or any of these others. But Rick, let me thank you for joining me. Absolutely. Uh, it's always spirited conversation. I well, always appreciate you. seeing you and talking to you and um, look forward to seeing you again real soon. You betcha. Anytime. Talk to you soon. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Rick. You got it, brother. And now for today's Mayor Culpa. In speaking with Rick Wilson, I am reminded how much Trump was a vessel for those around him. In the absence of ideology or virtue, Trump was concerned only with the exercise of power. The ideas he put forth were based on the wishes and desires of those who surrounded him. This was never more true than Trump's relationship with the Christian right, an alliance I helped broker by connecting Trump with Jerry Falwell Jr. In 2015, for Trump, it was all a big put-on. How could a man thrice divorced as morally repugnant as Trump become the face of all fundamentally Christianity's hope and dreams? It was the judges. He may have been flawed beyond flawed, but his commitment to delivering the likes of Amy Comey Barrett and even Clarence Thomas to the bench was a dream towards delivering the country back to Christ. And if he would deliver upon this, these messianic soldiers would keep Trump in power no matter what. In the end, they made a deal with the devil. Only, they're still playing out their sick and twisted fantasy. The text exchange between Ginny Thomas and Mark Meadows is a prime example of how far this has gone. The pleas to Jesus Christ to help overthrow this nation. The belief in far-out QAnon theories, all from people at the highest level of powers. This is what happens when you let loose power for the sake of power. We have uncorked a lunatic brigade of Christian soldiers, and these texts are only the tip of the iceberg. I'm afraid we have set something in motion that is far beyond our control and very, very dangerous. And with or without Donald Trump, it will be with us for generations to come. And thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. And it's written and produced by Jimmy Jelinek. Executive producers are Jared Gustat, Jimmy Jelinek, myself, Michael Cohen, and Phil Alberstadt. Our editor is Lisa Orkin. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is winning the war on the state and local level. Mea culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Mea culpa. Nothing but the truth.
it's coming.